What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Here are your hosts, Dave AC and the Sixth Doctor. Another month has gone by, or is it two months? I can never in time. It's all wibbly wobbly. Um, but yes, we're back again for our monthly show uh, when we're, of course, all available. And um, yeah, Dave is here. Well, kind of here. Well, it's present. <laughs> Thank Show you very much indeed. Show me present. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you can't buy a better intro than that. Yeah, you've used all my best bits up before we started. You should have been here for the beginning. For, oh, Oh, yeah, Somebody the pre-show was much better than this thing's ever going to be. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking uh, reboots and volcanoes, and yeah, it's oh. just it's fantastic. It's a shame you missed it when we were recording. Oh, well, listen to the rest of this. It should be all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we can guarantee, yeah. All we can guarantee, yes. All right, well, uh, you heard from myself and, and, and Dave, and also joining us on audio, Mr. Darth Skeptical is here. Hello, how are you? Very good, thank you, sir. Very good. And uh, for, for those of you watching, um, he's, he's completely fine. Um, not in danger of lava. So no need to get in the lava. <coughs> lava, sorry. Yeah, he was, he was a bit worried for a, for a while. You were trying to put him out and he wasn't on fire. <laughs> I kept throwing whiskey <laughs> at him. I don't know why it wasn't working. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's everybody on audio. Um, Mike has, has, has dropped off for the moment. I don't know if he'll be back, but we'll see. And um, so that's only the, the, um, the, the code of silence. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the code of silence. To activate, simply lower the code and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? What? Yes, and under the cone, as I said, uh, Mr. Randall Thor is keeping things uh, on, on uh, ship shape in there. Um, Cybob was here for the pre-show. So I guess the pre-show was official, and this is the unofficial part of the show. So, sorry. Yeah. And, of course, we are also joined by the ever-popular Guest 8. Welcome, Guest 8. Um, we're glad you're here. Um, uh, if you could do an autograph for my son later, that'd be fantastic. I'd love it. Anyway, yes. Um, so there's only one more person to introduce, and that would be the typing monkey, because it's news time. Go, oh. typing monkey. 
go. I don't get to do it very often. Everybody else jumps in. That's a very good impression of Ken as well, that. Oh, why, thank you. (laughs) All righty. Yes, so it's time for news, and um, uh, sitting over at the news desk is uh, Mr. Dave AC. Hello, Dave. Oh, yeah, and I should just say we, we have had apologies from Ken uh, not being able to make it. He's on the men, and hopefully he will be listening back to this, and uh, uh, and uh, we uh, hope he gets stronger and stronger as he has been in recent months. Uh, I'm going to go get the one sad piece of news out of the way from DoctorWhoNews.net first, and that's um, long-time Doctor Who fan uh, Graham Strong uh, has passed away. Now, the name you perhaps might not know, but you do owe him a debt of gratitude if you're a Doctor Who fan, because he's one of the people uh, in the very early days of uh, what we now call Classic Who, um, when people didn't have video recorders. And remember, video recorders came out about 1976, uh, Doctor Who, of course, starting uh, a lot earlier than that. But what some people did, they would uh, actually do audio tapes of their favourite programmes just to capture the audio and then in their mind would replay the visuals having watched it and that was their way of uh, of uh, retaining the storyline. Now, this particular chap was, um, did something that you must never and always never advise to and that is that because he knew about electronics, he actually opened his TV up and he actually connected um, his recording device directly to the audio inputs inside the telly, bypassing all the circuitry to the sort of, uh, uh, well, I don't think they were phone jacks, but rather than just stand a a microphone in front of his telly and get all the echo and all the distortion that that would do. To the point whereby which on some of these reconstructions that have come out, the DVD reconstructions, the actual, uh, when they used his audio tapes, which he made available to um, uh, the people doing that, um, the quality was so good that they even used his audio on the parts of the episodes that didn't, you know, the other parts of the series that didn't need it. So um, uh, yeah. let me just read a little bit from, go on in, come in there. Yeah, um, uh, for those of you who don't know and are wondering, what, why would you need to open up your TV? Um, back in the day, um, all you had on the outside of your TV, apart from the dials for changing the channel, which you had to get up and do manually, no remotes, um, you just basically had a place to plug in the antenna. That was all you really had. You, you, we didn't have, you know, it hooked up to our stereos or, you know, external speakers or anything. It was, there was basically, essentially, just an antenna jack. And so... I, I remember as a kid, um, myself and my, my friend Nick, we used to, um, we would place our recorders in front of the TVs so we could have the night, you know, I love Night Rider. I wanted to have the Night Rider theme that I could play, you know, and so that was the only way to do it. You know, you would you'd stick it in front of the TV. So the fact that this guy, you know, knew enough about the electronics to, to open up his TV and tap into that, I think that's phenomenal. Um, and before you go into the story about him, I recently actually seen it was about a couple of months ago that he actually turned over his recordings um, to the archives for them to keep because he had loaned them, and of course they had you know made their made use of them. You know they'd taken recordings and, and used them and they'd give them back. So um, I, I don't know how he died, but I'm assuming he was aware uh, that he didn't have all that much time 
and uh, yeah, he had he had turned. Uh, there was a, an article of him turning over his recordings for them to keep forever, uh, which is a, a fantastic thing. You know, so many people, you know, they have these rare things, and it's like they'll put them up for auction and stuff like that. But just for him to to donate them then back to the BBC. Hopefully they don't record over them. <clears throat> anyway, sorry, Dave, you may continue. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, the, the reason is, of course, these cathode ray tubes uh, had to have very high voltage. So you, you, I don't know if it's 50,000 volts, but it was 10,000 volts, certainly far more than getting a shock from the mains. So, because um, it was stepped up to that high voltage. Um, so, what things? So, um, Strong's recordings have been used for animated releases of missing episodes, such as The Power of the Daleks. And his recordings were so clear that they often exceeded the quality available on the surviving film prints of the episodes. And as a result, a number of the DVDs of early episodes contain audio taken from Strong's recordings rather than from the film print itself. And as I say, that's uh, on the uh, .whonews.net site, and I'll just put that uh, link into the room. So uh, it's people like this that, uh, you know, have helped Doctor Who uh, alive and... Um, uh, wonderful, as you say, for him to actually donate that uh, after the event. So that now the, the other good things is also uh, on a related theme in a sense. Uh, it's all about Doctor Who. Um, there's the uh, the channel that uh, a lot of gamers use. I believe it's called Twitch, um, and uh, that's trying to sort of uh, spread its wings and become more of a, a mainstream thing. So um, in actual fact, from starting May 29th, we're May 27th, as we record this episode, uh, episode 341, just our May 2018 meetup is the title. Um, Doctor Who will be on Twitch. Um, it has announced that over 500 classic episodes of Doctor Who will air worldwide. Now, this is only on a limited time, maybe it's some sort of test, uh, from May 29 to July 23rd. So it's joining forces with the BBC Studios for the first ever digital broadcasting event of the classic Doctor Who era. Um, uh, from uh, 500 episodes from se uh, 26 seasons dating from the show's inception in 1963 uh, all the way through to the end of um, one of Ian's uh, favourite episodes, I think, uh, Survival with the, uh, the, the Master and uh, Cheetahs and all sorts of things. So um, that is, uh, again, uh, one of those. And um, not on that site, but I've read somewhere, or somebody posted it on the uh, Cult Collective Facebook page, that um, the 10th series of current Doctor Who with the, uh, the 12th, uh, 13th Doctor, sorry, the 12th Doctor, I should say that, uh, Peter Capaldi's Doctor, uh, will be on Netflix very soon. Um, so um, I so don't think they include that's Netflix in UK sorry I should have clarified that and I don't think it's going to include I think Amazon has the yeah. Amazon has the rights here in the US because they, yeah, they pulled Doctor Who from Netflix but, sorry. yeah no that's true it's like uh, it, there are a few things like that where I, I can't watch uh, certain shows here in the UK because the, the rights mm. are by Amazon in uh, in the UK against that. But yeah, I'm not too sure whether the uh, Christmas special Do uh, Mysterio, Doctor Mysterio is going to be involved, but um, uh, that um, is uh, basically all that news. Uh, what I want to just carry on about, though, is some... Uh, personal sort of uh, little adventure that I had uh, in, and that was um, 
I meet up. I meet up with uh, another Doctor Who uh, aficionado, uh, none other than Lee Shuttlefoot, one of the uh, three members of Discussing Who, along with uh, uh, Kyle and Clarence uh, that do that. Uh, Kyle and Clarence also do Discussing Trek, uh, where they've been talking about the latest uh, Star Trek Discovery, but together the three of them do uh, Discussing Who, and also... Discussing comics again. I think discussing comics is done as a YouTube video. I think they do that as a YouTube. And and they've just recently all met for the first time, I believe, in the Who Atlanta, which is um, the one that used to go under another name, was it? Ian? Yeah, it used to be Timegate, and it's now Who Atlanta. But um, this actually uh, next year's maybe the, the the last for a while. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, when you have conventions especially the the smaller conventions that are run by you know basically fans etc um people run out of steam and so uh, i think they're looking to take a break maybe because i'm sure as you're well aware of organizing anything once you stop once the event is done you will go home and go back to your lives and these people have to already start be working on the very next one and making it bigger and better and you know and keeping the quality up. So, it, you know, I can understand that it takes a, a strain on people's lives and, you know, they have to take some kind of a break. So, right. We right. hope they're not gone uh, forever. Indeed. And, and, of course, Lee also has, well, he, he was involved in that uh, Herlock, where the female Sherlock, and that's on YouTube. But it uh, currently has been and just started the uh, second season of his own audio adventure series, um, called Relativity. So if you look up a Relativity podcast, uh, that's Lee Shackelford, and uh, uh, and it's 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 sort of like a, a full audio adventure uh, that's there. And um, he was coming over with his uh, lovely wife Karen, uh, staying in the UK for a short visit before going on to Prague, where both he and his wife were being invited to give lectures. Um, he was giving a lecture about uh, about uh, this gentleman, I'm not sure I can pronounce his name, Carl Kapek, a writer who um, has been known or been uh, reputed to have come up with the name of the word robot, uh, or coined the word robot, uh, from a very early thing that he wrote called R-U-R, uh, Rossum's Universal Robots. Although, uh, looking at the wiki page, which I'll put in the uh, Page here. I'm not too sure it will go in because it's got some uh, uh, Cyrillic letters in the uh, title. Uh, it looks as though it's come in. Uh, apparently, it's gone. Yes, it works. Ah, excellent. I just clicked on it, so and it's right there. Right, right. Uh, actually, I believe it, it. Looking at this, it was his brother that came up to him, but um, um, Lee was going over there to to give a talk about uh, robots and so on, and Karen. Uh, you, as you've commented already, as a woman of great taste, uh, oh, yeah. being as she was uh, was doing her lecture uh, with a, a very uh, uh, proud figure of uh, James T. Kirk, uh, front and centre of her uh, her, uh, her display. But, um, yes, yep. shirtless as well. Yeah. So um, I was going to uh, now. I should just say that. No, um, uh, 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 go on. I, I, well, I just have to add, she wasn't shirtless. Kirk was. But, I mean, that kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? Anyway. 
Sorry, yeah. it, was worth, it was worth the gag. It was worth the gag. Yeah. And, and and Lee had done some translation of this uh, this play, uh, and uh, that I think that's used in a, a lot of productions. So um, uh, he had been invited to uh, to speak at this sort of convention. Both of them had. Um, now I, I should just say. Uh, uh, just in case there's anybody listening uh, from the States, a couple of people have, 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 have wanted to meet. Yeah, they wanted to meet up with me, Ian. Not like you. They wanted to meet up with me. And uh, yeah. But unfortunately, uh, I, I've always explained, especially when it's been way down in London, 200 miles away and involved in an overnight stay, that um, you know uh, I may have declined uh, on occasion. And that's nothing to do with any disrespect to those people. But Lee was literally up the road in Huddersfield, and um, uh, which they is, still you know, said no. Train no, I said yes. <laughs> uh, but the arrangements changed, and I was going to meet them in Holmfirth, which is the uh, the setting for Last of the Summer Wine. Mm. And um, through through a series of uh, uh, things that happening, because they'd been down in London, uh, it was the day of the royal wedding, um, so um, this was. Um, yeah, this was the Saturday uh, of the, the royal wedding itself. Uh, anyway, I eventually met up with them where they were staying with these friends. Had a lovely chat. Karen uh, uh, took a picture of uh, myself and Lee having a little uh, talk. I happened to find a glass of wine just to grab onto for the picture. And um, lovely little chat we had. We had an awful lot in common talk. Uh, and... Uh, Carlo and I, I don't think I can pronounce his wife's name because uh, it's spelled X I M E N A Zimina Zimina, uh, but beautiful couple that uh, uh, we chatted to in the garden there, uh, uh, and we spent about an hour and a half uh, talking about various things. I even think that Lee uh, made a short video of sorts, which uh, he may be able to put up sometime when he's back in the states. So uh, yeah, lovely to meet uh, fellow. Podcasters uh, gave him a little uh, present. I think you saw it. Uh, you know, I sorted out a little yeah. T-shirt for him to wear. I thought it might be something appropriate for him to wear uh, at uh, some event. And uh, yeah, and uh, also, of course, we found out that there was a mutual connection uh, with West Hubbard uh, because um, they'd they'd all been to the Atlanta one, and uh, West was one of the. Um, People on stage um, doing that the uh, that was that was Pentacon. Pentacon was it? Ah, right. Yeah, uh, West works uh, with the with the Pentacon convention people. Well, right. No, so the Pentacon people, because Pentacon is anyway. Right. That must have been the one just a just few remember, days. Yeah, you're not as funny as you think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, it was lovely to meet uh, Lee and his wife and uh, have a good chat. So. Um, yeah. uh, that is great. And just check out Relativity Podcast and uh, Discussing Who. And, of course, it's uh, it's Neighbour Program uh, Discussing Trek. And just to, just to, to kind of tack on to the end of that, um, I think uh, two days ago, uh, Discussing Who posted an interview with Wes Hubbard, uh, who has been working uh, at Pentacon um, as a moderator and, um, you know, conducting interviews with uh, the likes of Arthur Darvall and um, and uh, working with John Barrowman and things like that. So that's awesome that he's, you know, because he's really good at that kind of stuff. Um, 
and so they 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 interviewed him, and so you'll hear a bit of a mention of of Dave and myself. Because uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, we all get our we all owe our origins to podcasts, but Dave and I owe our origins really to um, to West's show um, DIA, which became Cult Man Audio, which of course is now called uh, Random Vortex. So of course we took the Cult Man name with us. And uh, and that's where we are now. So hopefully, maybe towards the end of the year, I might go up to Pensacon um, for the convention, and hopefully the discussing who guys will be there, and also West, because it'll be actually be close to to about uh, ten years since I saw West last when we went to Wrath of Con together. So um, and I'm trying to find the footage from there so I can. Uh, put some of that stuff up online, like our, our original interview with Gigi Edgeley and, um, and some of the other folks there. So that would be really cool. So, yeah, check out the latest interview. It's posted, of course, on the Discussing Who uh, fa uh, Facebook page, and there's a link to it, of course, on the Colton page. Yeah, yeah and I put them in the room. I put them in the room here. So if you use chatgrabber.com, ah, uh, look for. Um, uh, call ID 54821, and this, of course, is episode 341, and the links are all in there. Do you got any more news, Dave? Uh, well, uh, yes, I think I think we ought to cover the uh, very briefly the the BAFTA Awards because that lead, will lead on nicely to a couple of little clinks, clips I've got of uh, Jodie Whittaker to uh, mention after that. But um, yeah, the um, this happened, of course, because we're only doing these monthly. Um, these things uh, have not. Uh, I don't think we got a chance to talk about them. We we talked about the maybe nominations, but uh, very quickly. Um, uh, I don't know whether I put the link in the room, uh, but um, actually, again, Jodie Whittaker was up for uh, a nomination of uh, TV moments. There were uh, TV moments where there was one from the Blue Planet Two uh, of a a whale. Uh, holding on to its uh, dead uh, child, its uh, baby lizard. Apparently, with this um, plastic in the water, I think that some plastic got into the, the mother's milk. And um, this has helped launch uh, a big thing about trying to clean up plastic in the oceans. Um, then there was um, another one from the the Manchester One concert. Uh, that was the, the one where... There was a bomb at Manchester, and they they had um, uh, well, it was terrible. But following on from that, they had a a, a big charity do it. That was a marvelous charity event, uh, and that again got a a worldwide viewage. And there were one or two others, but the uh, Jody uh, with the, her being introduced as the next Doctor was one of those. So uh, very quickly, I don't think I'm going to read through all these but um um lead actor winner was sean bean for broken um supporting actress was vanessa kirby from the crown uh supporting actor was uh brian uh f o'byrne from little boy blue um uh, entertainment performance um uh, graham norton hey graham norton hey. the last one <laughs> Yeah, Stanley Toxis for QI was in one of the nominations for that. Michael McIntyre's big show was in that. Um, and performance for a comedy program. I think you'll like this, Ian. The winner mm. was Toby Jones for The Detectress. Oh, 
Oh, well, it's a nice that. little show. I, I like the Detectorists. They've actually got that on for anybody who's interested. Um, it's I can't remember the other guy's name, but he was in uh, the the office. The office. Yeah. He was yeah. the 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 annoying guy. Can't remember who played his part in the American one because I never watched it. But um, it's him and Toby Jones, and they're just detectorists. Um, they go around with their their metal detectors and try and you know strike it rich and find stuff. And it's it's a, it's a really nice little show. Um, it's kind yeah. of hard to explain, you know, but it's 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 nice. There's no big drama. It's set in a small town, and they just, you know, go around fields and chatting with each other, and you know, it's it really is good. I I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. I think it's a bit like Fools and Horses, you know. This this time next year we'll be millionaires. You know, they think they're going to hit some real treasure at some point, and, and um, it, I think they they all meet together in the local church hall, and you know. There's tea and biscuits. <laughs> it's just you know, or they go to the pub. Yeah. It's nothing, yeah. nothing grand. It's just this nice little show. Right, like um, nice little show. Yeah, uh, female performance in a comedy program. The winner was uh, Daisy May Cooper. This country. Um, I would have liked Anna Maxwell Martin in Motherland to win. Uh, I think she's a fabulous actor. Uh, drama series. Really pleased about this. Although the. Fans of the Crown won't be, but Peaky Blinders at last one, uh, which I think is a fabulous uh, thing. Uh, Line of Duty didn't, because uh, with Sandy Newton, who's uh, now uh, going to be in the uh, latest Jurassic Park too, uh, but uh, and of course she's in um, Westworld. So Sandy mm. Newton's having a fantastic time. Uh, I mean, she looks absolutely stunning and oh. gorgeous. She's on the uh, Graham Norton show, and uh, I mean, she's she must be almost fifty now, late forties certainly, but she looks absolutely Because um, in Westworld, of course, it's 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 not for the kiddies. Um, oh, right. I see a lot of Sandy Newton, and um, I must say, uh, she's looked after herself pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Also okay, single drama winner murder for Bill. By the way, I, I think people have guessed that BAFTA's it's TV awards. So um, the uh, winner was murdered for being different, uh, and uh, not many of the ones in that category are new. Miniseries, the winner was Three Girls. It was against Howard's End and a couple of others. Um, Soap continuing drama was Casualty, uh, and that was with the usual. Yeah, Casualty. Well, need Mike for that one, uh, and that was up against the usual suspects of Coronation Street, Emmerdale, Hollyoaks. Um, international, the winner was Handmaid's Tale, The Handmaid's Tale, which mm. of course is a dystopian science fiction of sorts. Right. Uh, that, uh, that's Amazon, correct? Uh, it probably is because I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm seeing it on Netflix. Uh, there was a there was an original film. I mean, it's a book, but there was right. a film made, and then the the series came out of the film because the film's so successful. Um, then uh, when uh, entertainment was Britain's Got Talent, um, and Deck didn't win for once. I don't think. Uh, oh, yes, they did. That's that. Um, comedy, comedy entertainment winner Murder in Success film, which I haven't really watched. I know the other, and let me have a look very quickly. I think the must-see moment w that won was the uh, the pilot whale grieves over the dead calf. Uh, but the the other things were 
the Doctor Who, the 13th Doctor is revealed. Game of Thrones, I hope this isn't a spoiler, but it's where a certain creature uh, gets killed, and I'll leave it at that. You mean a character uh, gets killed off on Game of Thrones? No, no, a wow, creature. That's a spoiler. Well, creature, <laughs> character, whatever. Because yeah, uh, creatures uh, are characters, right? Uh, and the One Love Manchester concert, the Rihanna Grande. The Grand, Ariana. Uh, Ariana Grande. Yeah, yeah. Seeing him one last time, yeah. Um, and I think we'll probably uh, skip this as a sort of factual and probably not well known across, um, you know, uh, out, outside of this country. Although Kate, uh, Darth, since he's got very international taste, may like to know that uh, a BAFTA fellowship was awarded to the uh, war and news reporter Kate Aidy for all the fantastic work she's done, being in all these zones of hazards. And, you know, she doesn't look crooked out unless she's got, um, you know, a, a blast mm. thing on. Yeah. yeah, so that was the uh, the BAFTAs, and the, the standard was pretty high this year, I must admit. It was uh, anything that won. So, um, unless you want to break in from the minority of my voice, I've got a couple of just not clips from those actual stories, but just a couple of things because Jodie Whittaker was there presenting uh, with Bradley Walsh, who's going to be one of the um, people in the next series of Doctor Who. And I hope that's not too much of a spoiler for Darth. Uh, so, uh, should I play these two little clips back to back? Go ahead. She's going on Instagram. We're doing it right now. This is me and Jodie Whittaker, the new doctor, by the way. We're going to present an award at the BAFTAs. And we're BAFTAs. 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 And we're going on a mix. Say hello to all the fans, Jodie. Hi, hi, Brothers Banger fans. <laughs> Not my own fun. <laughs> Listen, we're looking forward to it. The BAFTAs. What's the BAFTAs? We've gone tonight. Oh. Me and Joe. The doctor, the doctor, the doctor. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think they've been at the champagne when he did that. <laughs> and, and, and here's a little interview from um, one of the uh, Virgin uh, TV uh, interviewers as they were catching them uh, as they were arriving. Uh, but no, Jodie, thank you so much uh, for stopping by and saying hello. No of way. course, you are nominated for our must-see moment award tonight, uh, the yeah. reveal of the 13th Doctor. Yeah, it's very exciting. How special was that, and why do you think it was such a big moment in television last year? I think the, the, I, I think the, the magic of the Doctor Who you know, series as a phenomenon is to keep their fans engaged and to keep everyone kind of guessing what direction it's going to go in and, and really trying to be secretive in the best way and that as a reveal was amazing because no one had any idea no so yeah so it's really exciting but i think the category is obviously incredible and particularly mm. you know the, uh, the one love concert and you know blue planet those are so important and and fantastic yeah. and it's yeah it's certainly a category that's put lots of things together that you wouldn't necessarily put all together yeah well, i mean listen playing uh, a character such as the doctor as well yeah it's such was it was it one that were you quite nervous to take it on? Yeah, and I'm midway through now, so yeah. it's it's nerve-wracking but exciting and exhilarating and completely liberating because I'm such a different direction. So as an actor, there's no rules for this part, and certainly is that true for me because I'm I'm the a different gender to what they used to. So yeah, no, it's really exciting. Well, it's absolutely incredible. We spoke to your uh, co-star Bradley Walsh. Can't oh, wait is he already here? Keep working with I him. They didn't wait for me then, did they? <laughs> All right, thanks, Brad. 
Uh, anybody want to comment on uh, hearing a talk? Do you think she's going to use that uh, normal accent, Ian? Or? I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting because you know, I mean, Christopher Eccleston got to keep his, but um, when we got to David Tennant, he had a British accent, and so it's kind of hard talent. I mean, as an actor, it's always cool to be able to put on, you know, a different accent to, to suit the character. Um, but I think I don't think it'll get too far from her own voice, but there might be a slight tweak to it to make it. Yeah, more doctorish. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's uh, either way. I mean, it, at the end of the day, it's not necessarily how they sound. It's how they deliver the lines practically, and you know, and uh, and the energy that they put into it. And so, at the end of the day, I mean, we got through Eccleston, you know, with his lots of planets have an off. Um, so you know, I'm just looking forward to it. I don't know if she's, she could be my favorite doctor ever. Or she might be a middle of the road doctor, or she could be the worst for me. I don't know. You know, it's 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 really hard telling. Um, one of the things I've noted, I by mistake, I was homesick one day and I decided to put on something to watch, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to watch the the Christmas Invasion. And so I stuck that on, and it actually led me into a full on rewatch of um the the new series except for Eccleston, because I started kind of after him. Um, and, it, and, it, and it's interesting to sit there and analyze it, or actually just kind of appreciate it, you know, without, like, because normally when we're watching something, I know I'm going to have to do a podcast the next day, and so then I watch it again to see what other details I can pull out of it, and you become very analytical of, of, of what they do when and how they do it, and this is probably one of the first times I've actually just sat down, and I've got my office... Hello? Hello, Ian? Darth, has she, has she dropped off? Uh, that cat is gone. Yeah. I'll put something in text. Any thoughts from hearing Jody speak? Did did, uh, did that give you any clues as to how you feel as though she's going to play it? No, I just would like to hover over the fact that the BAFTAs have really dropped in quality. I mean, I've looked at the thing, other things that are nominated there, and really, seriously, some awful stuff. Uh, so I have no respect for them anymore. So I'm done. I'm out with that. Uh, ah. I don't. I, but as far as the, the question you just asked, I don't care. It really doesn't matter to me. Right. Yeah. Well, I suppose I was. Uh, I was slightly. Uh, so pleased that uh, Peaky Blinders has won because uh, um, that's a show that I, I, I do really enjoy and uh, Cillian Murphy who plays the lead role in that and uh, the person who plays one of his aunties whose name I, I can't bring to mind at the moment uh, um, I mean The Crown, are you not a fan of The Crown? That was one of the ones nominated I mean not really no, I, I mean, okay. I've watched it, but I don't think that it's... Um, I prefer Victoria, actually, with uh, Jenna Coleman, but... Yeah, I mean, that's a little... Uh, it's a little more interesting story, perhaps, because it's moved in time. I don't know. Um, I'm just saying, there's a lot of stuff in there that's just like, I mean, casualty, really. I'm going to give that an award. Do, do we need to? 
No, um, no, no. I mean, and you really look at that one category. The, the category that Jodie Whittaker was nominated in, I guess it's Jodie Whittaker, or is it Doctor Who itself? I don't know. But uh, that category is entirely stupid. I mean, really, look at what else is in there. Uh, it's, it's just crazy, crazy stuff. Um, okay. I mean, it's it's odd. I still have some respect for the film side of BAFTA, but BAFTA television, I don't know if it's just that there really hasn't been that much exceptional British television in the last, I don't know, two or three years. Maybe maybe the whole industry is taking a nosedive, or is it just they've picked some weird stuff uh, that I don't particularly agree with. I don't know. Line of Duty, you didn't watch that? Again, when I mentioned Yeah, yeah, I watched that. With Sandy Newton. Uh, I mean, to me that I mean, I'm I'm really talking about looking at what else is nominated. A lot of the winners yeah. do make some sense. But yes, I'm with you. The competition yeah, is very weak. I think I'm with you there. Now I take you mean yeah, yeah. It's odd because Nor- normally in the pat like at the top of the decade, I mean it was an almost impossible choice. Now it's like well, there's only one person that could win, uh, maybe two. In the case of the, like best drama, like there, I, I could see that Peaky Blinders is not the inevitable choice, um, right. but largely the rest of it. And, and you know, throw in the crown of the bone for uh, the actor who portrayed is it Margaret? I guess is it Margaret? Is that the Queen's sister? Or is yes, Anne? Uh, yes, she was, she won for supporting actress. Yes, yeah, 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 Margaret. Yeah, I'm like, well, yeah, that was whatever, but it's not like the hardest role in the world, you know. She's just playing, you know, a slightly rebellious version of Elizabeth. I mean, given uh, given the actual scripts that she's in, you know, kind of. Right. right. I'm very, very lukewarm on the Baptist, especially as compared with the Emmys this year. I thought the Emmys, maybe, maybe it's just that the American industry is in ascendancy right now, and the British is in a slight decline. Or maybe it's that a lot of the good people from Britain have flown the coop and are now actually producing things in in, in America. I don't know. Um, but even, even calling, like, The Crown... I mean, this is a perennial problem, but even calling The Crown a British show is... I, I think it can be debatable. You know, because... Right. What is Netflix? Is Netflix British? Not as far as I know. And as far as I know, they are the majority investor in The Crown. So although it is obviously full of uh, some of Britain's best actors and best behind-the-scenes talent, is it, is it British? You know, it's, it's, like, it's like the old question of, is Star Wars American? Well, it's filmed... At least the original trilogy and the last film, Last Jedi, were filmed majority in Pinewood. So, you know, is that still American? You know, these, these national border questions, especially when you've got national uh, uh, award ceremonies, are very difficult for me. I would much rather that you know, all the English-speaking nations of the world just came together and said, okay, we're now forming an English-language academy of television and film. And then it would be like the Super Bowl. 
And then people would get to know Bollywood better, and you know, people would get to know stuff that's coming out of Australia better, and it would be, I think, fairer. And you wouldn't worry so much about whether something is actually British or not. So right. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, the other thing is, is um, like you said, a lot of that talent. I mean, like um, Black Mirror is. Um, yeah. The, it's a British comedian that's written that, who's married yeah. Mandy to Connie. Which really right. upsets me. Connie Hum, who was in Blue Peter. From Blue Peter, yep. Anyway, the, yeah. her, her husband, whoever he is, I know her name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to upset. Uh, I mean, the, that, that's the thing that there's some. Uh, and you're right, a lot of uh, actors and so on, uh, 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 there seems to be more fluidity uh, between. I mean, the, was the mole broken by a house? Years ago, where you know you've got uh, somebody who would you would have thought was so typically a British actor, there's no way he could get international role in America. Oh, you could actually say uh, uh, Patrick Stewart. I know you're not that big a fan of him, but with Patrick Stewart, you know, deigning to become, you know, from you know doing Shakespeare and uh, I Claudius and all that kind of stuff, coming and uh, and playing a starship captain and. Uh, uh, other, you know, the, 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 uh, and then there's also, what, who is it that's coming back to TV? I just read somewhere. Who is it? Uh, uh, was it Al Pacino's coming to be in his first, starring his first TV series ever? Uh, uh, maybe. I, I don't think, know. Uh, yeah, I think I read that Al Pacino signed up to be uh, a star where he plays like a newspaper editor or something. Um, so I mean that snobbery has gone out of it uh, a little bit. Anyway, um, we we're, we're talking a little bit long on that. Uh, Ian has uh, lost his audio. He's going to try and get back in now um, because we didn't have a long chat you and I before we came in. Uh, there's a couple of things that I was going to cover in terms of some of the big movies that have uh, come out uh, recently, either. Uh, not particularly in any order, but I am very well. There's some you may prefer not to talk about. So let me, uh, and please, our listeners, just bear with me on this. Um, let me name the the films I've got trailers for, and if there's anyone you prefer, I go with first. Otherwise, we'll just go through them if uh, Ian can get back in. Uh, guest ten, I can't unmute you. Uh, our host is um, uh, just dropped off, although he appears to be in the room. He has dropped off with his internet connection. So the, the film trailers I've got are um, uh, Black Panther, the um, uh, Jurassic World 2, Fallen Kingdom, uh, the the Ant-Man and Wasp official trailers. These are the ones that I knew Ian would be interested in, of course. Uh, 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 the Avengers Infinity War and Solo Star Wars story. Is any of those that you're more inclined to either talk about or have already seen? I mean, I've seen everything but Jurassic World, and I doubt I will see that. I don't know anything about that franchise at all. Okay. Um, Well, uh, I think the Black Panther came out the earliest of those. So if I was to play that, would you be able to give some feedback on it without being too spoilerish? Not being too spoilerish. It's already... Well, all right. Well, well, video. I mean, uh, your dis- uh, your discretion then, because I don't mind. 
Okay. Okay. It's just about two minutes long. Here we go. I have seen God fly. I've seen men build weapons that I couldn't even imagine. Uh-huh. I've seen aliens drop from the sky. Yeah. But I have never seen anything like this. How much more are you hiding? Hold up. Let's go, go. It is your time. Show me my respect and bow down. You get to decide what kind of king you are going to be. Don't freeze. I never freeze. The revolution will not be televised. Show me my respect and bow down. I waited my entire life for this. The world's gonna start over. I'ma burn it all. What happens now determines what happens to the rest of the world. And obviously from audio, I think you can tell that's a pretty high-energy trailer. And I'm hoping that people who are listening to this have probably watched that. Um, Long Overdue, a black uh, superhero having his own franchise film? Uh, Well, no. I mean, that's happened before. Uh, I don't know if that's really the point of Black Panther. At first, start off by saying... Uh, one of the rather miraculous things about Black Panther that Infinity War uh, puts us in mind of is how well integrated Black Panther the film is to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Having first introduced the character and his father in uh, Captain America Civil War, and then the role that he and the whole of his nation, Wakanda, plays in um, Infinity War, it feels very natural in a way that, well, it feels that the Black Panther and Wakanda and the whole mythos of that individual character plays in the larger MCU um, it is much better, much more natural than I think Black Panther in the comics feels to the comics version of the Marvel Universe. Um, Black Panther as a title comics is always one that um, 
was going up against the man uh, and being, you know, not necessarily given the same amount of respect that other titles did. And it was one that, you know, did not run continuously as, you know, say Captain America did or Iron Man or or Hulk or other titles like that. Um, and, And so there are several discrete runs of the comic Whereas, although he wasn't introduced from the very first phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, once he has been introduced, he has seemed like an inevitable and integral part of the whole deal. And that's so much, and I suppose this is a, well, I don't know if I should spoil, that he is so important to... Um, Infinity War uh, is it feels like it couldn't be have been any other way, and that's remarkable. Uh, right. I would say too that now that this Black Panther movie is on uh, home video, uh, that you should make sure that you avail yourself of the opportunity to see a really fascinating uh, special feature that's on it, wherein they bring um, the writers for most of the major iterations of the comic book character, put them alongside the producer of the film, the director of the film, and the writer of the film. And you just hear the whole history of the character in an encapsulated way, but in a spirited discussion that will leave you more enamored of that character than when you went into it. Um, Just a fabulous, fabulous extra feature, one of the best things uh, best ones that you'll find in your MCU collection of DVDs and Blu-rays. Um, as for the substance of the film itself, I don't know if I can heap more praise on it than other people have already done. It's been long released. It's got like a 97% or something uh, rating on Rotten Tomatoes that is fully deserved. Um, it is I don't even know what angle to talk about because so many angles are excellent. But I will say probably the thing that that is the best, two things that are best to me. First of all, that the villain in the film is strong in the sense of uh, the best villains that have been on film. Um, in In that you completely buy his point. And... Uh, that you understand that he and uh, T'Challa, the the Black Panther, the, uh, well, I guess we should say the proper Black Panther, um, are attacking the same issue, but from two different perspectives. And those perspectives are, in a sense, incompatible. That is, one of them has to dominate the other. And although... Ultimately, T'Challa brings in some of the viewpoint of the villain into his final resolution in the film. Ultimately, he has to succeed, or the villain has to succeed and integrate some of T'Challa's points. But that's what makes it so fascinating, is that because they are effectively yin and yang, um, they become an interesting character study in how to, or an interesting study, that is, in how to write 
strong villains and heroes and how both complement the other. And in a sense, if you're really happy with, say, Khan in Star Trek II, you know, one of the reasons Star Trek II works is because Khan is effectively a sort of mirror and opposite of Kirk. Kind of. Um, and he has a point. He he wants, he thinks that he is a better version of humanity. He thinks that he is going to make a better uh, society, certainly, you know, in the eugenics war period of Star Trek. Uh, and he, he is holding on to this notion that he is the future. And that same sort of thing, but he's warped, right? He's not quite right about that. And that's sort of what's going on here with T'Challa and um, the Michael B. Johnson character. Um, they are... The film works principally because they both have great points to make and they both articulate them very well. And then they kick each other's ass. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of action and really good action, too. It's not mindless action. Uh, the other thing that is making all of this right is that when you've got, although you have this primary discussion between these two people who are vying essentially to be the king, um, you've got this whole chorus in the background of other characters that are primarily female, but not exclusively. And they all have different things to say about leadership as well. And you see their points registering with the principal character too. And so all the women have agency. All the women have uh, some point to make. And I, I shouldn't say just women because there's also another rival who's in the film who is male. And he has some points to make that eventually get included in what uh, T'Challa does. It's, it's this real fascinating study on leadership in general because T'Challa is going around and taking something from all these people who are at some level either overt enemies or antagonists or they are just like his annoying sister, you know, somebody or his mother who's a little dominant, you know, whatever, trying to get from all these different people in his life something to make a brighter future for his entire people. And I, I, I just love that. And you also see the flip side of that because you see the Michael B. Johns character, um, Killmonger. You see him trying to uh, exist in an atmosphere of leadership, but his leadership is more tyrannical, more dictatorial, and you see how some people do respond to that, but other people don't. And so the entire film is just this study in what it takes to be a king. And so when he finally resolves all that, and it is the unquestioned king, um, that's when you go off into Infinity Wars and then in Infinity Wars, you see now this fully realized version of T'Challa who, when he steps out on the battlefield, is just in charge. And it's really quite a fascinating progression when you link it up all the way back to uh, Civil War where you know, his father dies, he's suddenly you know, thrust, given the title of king, and then he has to earn it in his own movie, and then he has to display it in... Uh, in uh, Infinity War. And it's such a beautiful progression um, and very, very well done. Now, if there's one thing that I, I dislike about the film, I guess it would be um, Martin Freeman's character, who should never, under any circumstances, 
in a film that is called Black Panther, be a CIA agent working in Africa. It's so creepy. It's so wrong. It's just, and for that CIA agent to have been sort of befriended T'Challa, it's it's like how 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 could T'Challa? It doesn't make any sense because the CIA have a terrible record in uh, Africa. I just, and especially when you look at the age of Martin Freeman's character, and you think, well, when he must have been in Africa, what he might have been involved in, it just. It doesn't make any sense that an African leader would have accepted CIA, a CIA agent as like kind of a buddy. I, it's just mm. he could have been anything else. Honestly, he could have been anything else. He could have been like somebody attached to the an Ameri- Even if it's an American, you wanted to keep it American. I, I personally think it should have been British, but whatever. Uh, like he could have been an attaché to the American embassy and not actually working for the CIA, maybe somebody working for commerce or something like that. Uh, but CIA agent, it, it, it really it kind of rubs me the wrong way. Um, and I'm sure it rubs, it's got to rub some other people the wrong way. It sounds uh, as though they didn't know what to do because going to the wiki page, it said uh, in the, co- the comic book counterpart was a uh, Mainly comic relief. That's what it yeah. says here. Um, and he's not CIA in the comic books. That character is not. Um, but so it um, sounds as though it's out of sync with the rest of the film. Well, it's just out of sync with reality of Africa. You know, right. I mean, the film the film is otherwise like the comic book itself, trying to give this fantasy but hopeful version of a uh, an African nation that in no way had anything to do with the slave trade or with colonialism. It was never colonized. It was never, nobody came in and took people away, you know, slave ships or anything like that. Uh, it was always hidden and, you know, it's to show what would be the result, a possible result of an African nation that was just left the fuck alone. Sorry for the spoiler. Yeah, um, and 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 that's what makes it kind of great, you know, because you see, well, as long as nobody took away their natural resource, which let's face it, that is the uh, the biggest probably stain of colonialism is that you know the British came in and not not just the British but the French and Dutch and Germans to some extent as well, and Italians certainly uh, came in and they took away the natural resource, physically took it out. Well, the natural resource of Wakanda is vibranium, which is the thing that, uh, like Captain America's shield. Oh, yes, his shield's made of that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Which is a big point that's made, by the way, a fun point that's made in uh, Infinity War. So if you haven't seen that yet and you like that connection, it's an interesting connection that eventually gets made. But anyway, um, you know, what would happen in an African nation if they had an amazing resource? Nobody from the outside world really quite knew where Wakanda was or what it was about. Uh, would that society flourish like other societies around the world that had access to great natural resources too? And the answer is yes, it would. And not only would it, but it is thriving in a way that is technologically advanced and yet unique. I mean, another great thing about this movie is its uh, production design and the creation of Wakanda itself 
which is just stunning, and it's just gorgeous. And you sit there, if you've got a great TV, and you've got you know, the 4K UHD, the whole nicest version of this film, and you're going to want to pause just to look at the environment of Wakanda because it's so kick-ass. I mean, it's just gorgeous and well-realized. And um, I, I, I think that's, uh, you know, one of the greatest things about this film is it makes you long for a reality in which Africa was allowed to develop like everybody else, you know, or, or at least not the same level of just wanton destruction of culture that has happened in Africa. Um you, you got to think, man, this place would be gorgeous, you know, fully culturally gorgeous if people had just been cool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, th- I mean, th- you've only got to look at history. I mean, you, you could argue yeah. there were different indigenous people, but Egypt, you know, was the greatest nation sure. earth and, found, and that's part of Africa. But again, sure. there's probably differences. Um, one of the things yeah. I would, listening to what you said, and it's great, is um, mm-hmm. I, I love the, the the movie Wonder Woman, but I think the, uh-huh. the, the, the weakness of Wonder Woman was probably the 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 adver, 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 adversary in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, um, David Thule was uh, playing, uh, um, playing Ares. Ares. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sir Patrick Morgan. Spoilers if anybody... Sorry about that, but um, well, it, it, if if there was any limit to to the Gale Dot film, it was the fact that it, you know it it sort of sort of disintegrated yeah. into just a you know biff back boff at the end, you know. I mean, I suppose I don't have quite that problem with that because Ares is a very well defined character within Wonder Woman comics, and to not right. have Ares as the uh, ultimate villain in the first film would have been a little weird to me. Uh, and I, I also think that the bombast at the end ultimately allows you to have Wonder Woman show what is her greatest strength. And it's that great speech that she delivers perfectly, uh, which is essentially just a recodification of the Wonder Woman theme song, which is, you know... This is more from the Wonder Woman theme song than what she says at the end of Wonder Woman the movie, but, you know, make a hawk a dove, uh, conquer the world with love. That's what she essentially says is, the way I'm defeating you is through love. It's not because I hate you. It's not because I want to destroy you. It's because I love this world and I'm going to protect the world. And that's why you have to die. And I, to me, that made a lot of sense. And you had to have this glowing figure of hate at the end, and I, I, the more I've watched it, the more I've sort of said, I really like how that ends, but I know that that is a common criticism, that that last, whatever, ten minutes is kind of the weak part of the film, but I also think it's the part of the film in which she actually learns something from Steve Trevor and learns what it is to make a sacrifice, and, and you know, because she has, to, ultimately, Ares is her brother, you know, so she is making a sacrifice. Um, but... Uh, to be sure, I think a lot of people will say that the Killmonger as the the villain in Black Panther, villains maybe a strong word. antagonist is probably a better word, and and that right there is a difference enough for people that they will say that yes, Killmonger is better than Ares, 
Um, yeah. But there, there's a lot of commonality, I think, between Wonder Woman and Black Panther um, in, in terms of trying to define these characters by their villains, in terms of um, try, uh, in terms of production design, trying to create worlds that are uh, fully believable uh, and yet do not really exist and maybe never quite existed. I mean, you could say sort of the World War One environments, those are true to life to some extent, uh, but certainly Themyscira and uh, Wakanda share a lot in terms of being created environments that reflect the culture that are that's within and are, are environments that the viewer wants to get lost in. Uh, and, and they're both, I think, equally successful creations. Um, so okay. I, think there's a lot, I think there's a lot of commonality between Wonder Woman and, and Black Panther, and I would be very surprised if there are people who loved Wonder Woman who didn't like Black Panther, because it's a lot of the same stuff. It's a lot about empowerment. It's a lot about what would ha- you know. One is what would happen if the world if the world you lived in was ruled by women. What would it be like? And the other one is you know what would it be like if the Africa you lived in was controlled entirely and always was controlled by Africans. What would that be like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're both. That's what good science countries. fiction does. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, the only reason I haven't been to see it is because my brother-in-law. It, it, we went. I think it was. Batman v Superman, and he said, "Well, mm-hmm. that one, I, I don't want to go and watch any more of these superhero ones." Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, so I, I ended up having to get, I had to get Wonder Woman on Blu-ray, and I'll, I'll get uh, Black Panther. Perhaps, um, perhaps oh, yeah. it might be okay if you're good to still talk. And thank you for doing that. Let, mm. Should we get? Should I play the clip for um, Avengers: Infinity War? And yeah. If, yeah, sure. That's and if you, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and if you feel as though you're going to go. Spoilerish. Just give the, the listener a, a what. I, I, it doesn't matter to me, but if you are going to say something that's really spoilerish, give us mm-hmm. a, a little bit of a, a an audio prompt on that. So here's okay. another another two minutes. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more so when they needed us we could fight the battles that they never could Some 
one considers when balancing the universe. But this <laughs> does put a smile on my face. Very powerful trailer. Um, certainly would get most people to go and see it. Uh, so, again, I'm going to hand back to you, if I may, Gar. I didn't realize that trailer had that moment in it, because uh, I hadn't really seen the trailer. Uh, but you saw there, directly, Black Panther saying, get this man a shield. Yeah. Um, which is a, a beautiful thing about this film, uh, in that characters that you don't think of yet as being connected to each other do get connected um let's face it what this is in doctor who terms if this podcast trades in doctor who is journeys in <laughs> i mean it is console fully manned yeah <laughs> it absolutely is that the ending to season well almost ending to season four um of doctor who and you know, there's some people who really hate Journey's In, and there's some people who really love it, and I find myself on the really love it side. Uh, so there are a lot of uh, moments here that I just thought were really, really cool, just because people who are not naturally aligned to each other or have not been aligned with each other get aligned with each other in this film. Um, and that makes it a great deal of fun. Um I don't know how much... Uh, it's hard not to give away spoilers, especially since, really, you could say that the trailer kind of sets you up for what the movie is, especially that last little bit, which I guess is mostly visual, where Thor turns around and says, who are you guys? And it's the Galaxies. I mean, it's the Guardians of the Galaxies guys. Um, but that's that's a significant part of the film, that you have Thor aligned with the Guardians of the Galaxy, which is pretty awesome. Um, obviously, this is a movie that really does require you to be caught up. I would not advise you going into this film. If the last movie that you saw from the Marvel franchise was the first Avengers, you will be so lost. I mean, you really will be very, very lost. And the scenes won't have any kind of resonance for you whatsoever. Um, but, you know, if you're coming into this uh, after seeing what's the last one? I guess it was Thor Ragnarok was probably the last one. Oh no! Well, Black Panther is the last one. Uh, right. Yes. I mean, it goes Thor, Ragnarok, and then Black Panther. Um, if you're as current as that, and you've seen everything before this, then you'll be fine. And and this includes films, by the way, that are te- that are part of the Marvel universe, but not Disney. So, like, you kind of need Spider-Man Homecoming for this. Um, no, you don't kind of. You absolutely need Spider-Man Homecoming, which is technically not a Disney movie. Um, really? So, I think you do. I mean, isn't, isn't Civil War enough to get the intro of Spidey? I Well, but you don't... I don't know. You don't know the kids on the bus at all. 
from that. It may be a question of whether you get the most out of the film rather than... Is it that's what I'm saying, going saying from maximum. Right, for maximum, yeah. But I mean, for... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if you don't really know who Spider-Man is by now and you're going to see <laughs> Avengers of... A Marvel War, movie. Yeah, a Marvel movie. <laughs> like, Just a Marvel movie. Like, yeah, but I don't think you know that there's a relationship. Mm, yeah, you barely you, see the kids yeah, on the bus. So it's like, you know... Uh, I guess. I, I guess you don't know the fulsome. Well, you don't know the. You need it. I th- here's why you need Homecoming, though. You need it for Gwyneth Paltrow. Because you don't understand where the relationship of of Pepper to Tony Stark is. Do you? Without yeah. Homecoming? Mm, well, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you could, you could guess. They were on a break prior Iron to Man that, 3. and then. Yeah, then they're together again, and yeah. uh, I think oh, it's like Saudi like Civil War. Saudi like and arrow. This, yeah, it is at least true to say that you might you might need more than just a Disney film. I mean, it helps you to have Spider-Man: Homecoming, whether you need it or not. That may be an overstatement. Yeah, yeah, but it is weird that it even includes something that's from outside the. Like I, I half expected somehow the Fantastic Four to show up. I'm like, really? I but, hope not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, but you know what I mean. I mean, at least some <laughs> some hint of oh well, somehow we're going to use you know this film to finally reboot uh, you know Fantastic Four, or whatever. But I mean, one right. one other thing, if you don't know anything about this film, whatever. I mean, one thing that you do need to know, kind of, I think, going into it is, it is part one and part two of two parts. Right. I mean, if you think it's oh, going to be resolved, yes. it yeah, ain't going to be resolved. It is in no way resolved. It it ends pretty much like Empire does on a. Actually, it ends more like Last Jedi, right? Really bleak note with the tiniest bit of hope. You know, not even really great hope, to be honest. Um, so I don't. It is hard to talk about how. Uh, talk about it too much without getting into spoiler territory, except to say that it is, I think, incredibly successful at weaving together all these threads that they have been uh, building this whole time. It's also very... It explains to you... Like, I have been lost in the, a little bit in the past with Marvel movies, like Thor 2, Dark World. Like, how that... Well, no, but how is it related to the rest of it? Why do they keep going on about you know the tesseract or whatever? Why why are these gems? Why is the gem that's in the Vision's head? Why is that even important? I don't know, right? I mean, I have gotten the sense going through. Yes, we're all these gems are sort of in a nebulous way important, uh, but I thought they were really just MacGuffins. And they may really technically have been McGuffins within the individual movies where they were introduced. But now, uh, I think this film does a very successful job at explaining why that all was bad. Like, you come to understand through the performance of Josh Brolin, who's playing the big bad, who's playing this, this character called Thanos that was revealed, I forget where exactly, in these movies, but revealed to be the major threat that is coming. Uh, that performance is so nuanced, surprisingly nuanced and relatable 
Uh, and, you know, the performance of, say, Benedict, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch in explaining the importance of the time stone, you know, and how, how Dr. Strange is connected to all this, you come to understand what all of that threat was. And has, so by the end really, of the movie, mm-hmm. sorry, by the end of the movie, you're like, the world is screwed. And you really feel like the world is screwed. Um, which is, I think, a pretty remarkable feat since they've been building this for whatever it is, 10 years since really the Incredible Hulk. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not even, people forget about the Incredible Hulk, but really it's uh, it's not Iron Man 1 that starts all this. It's Ed Norton's the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, it's, just, is it, what, it's the in the, the is it the post credit sequence when the Hulk's like, yeah, you know, he's bounding around yeah. the Earth or whatever, and he happens to land on this ice shelf, and it's yeah. what reveals um, Captain Caps. America's uh, uh, shield plane, plane, yeah, 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 yeah. shield you're right, you're right, or whatever, right. and, and so they so that's that's kind of put in there and that's kind of really kind of that's the that, that's the beginning well that and William Hurt right right the the colonel well I forget what his rank is in Incredible Hulk but he's back mm-hmm. in, in in this one you know he's yeah secretary he's, um, of I guess defense sec defense he's secretary of something he's, Must he's be defense. The, 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 the the Hulk's the nemesis what's this oh um Whatever, Betty, in, in Betty's the dad in, Betty's dad in the Incredible. Oh yeah. yes, but yeah. but but he's been sprinkled through occasionally as yeah. I think I think his rank now in this movie is Secretary of Defense. Yeah. I think I'd kind of forgotten that until you mentioned the the because I was like mm-hmm. William Hurt's in this. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, and I yeah. forgot that he was yeah. in this. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean that's the thing that a lot of people forget is that the Hulk in. The Incredible Hulk, although played by Ed Norton, is meant to be the. I mean, the Ruffalo is playing the replacement actor for the same character, right? Yeah. And it really, if you've not seen The Incredible Hulk, even as a standalone film, that thing is really good. Like, really, it's good. the best of the Hulk movies. I mean, oh, to, well, not only that, but I think it honestly is a great film. It's it's almost. I I think it's on the same level as Iron Man. Like, it's a really strong portrayal. Like. That whole stuff where he goes to, is it Rio or is it Sao Paulo? He goes to Brazil at any rate. And that whole thing of him, like it's so, it, it's got that nice blend of what emotionally was satisfying about the Bill Bixby version of The Incredible Hulk on TV, along with some really improved kick-ass CGI for the Hulk itself. And... um it, it just works on a lot of different levels, and it's kind of sad that Ed Norton is not in on this. But at the same time, I really like Mark Ruffalo, so yeah, he's, yeah I'm not I complaining. I love his, I love his Hulk, yeah. and I love his banner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one question I have because I haven't seen the film yet, but is this uh, mm-hmm. this Thanos arriving through what looks to me like a Stargate? I mean, is is that a a representation of something um, equivalent? Uh, is it inter- interdimensional port or what? Well, it's um, really, uh, it's uh, uh, was it the space zone? It's basically what um, 
what Loki used to bridge the universes, bridge, bridge the galaxies tes- or whatever. The yeah, Tesseract. The tesseract. Yeah, oh, it's, right, that tech, right. it's that stone that, that did that that now he's got on the glove so he can just and walk through something. Interestingly, of course, because both are created by Jack Kirby. Uh, it's this. It's really the Marvel version of the boom box of the mother box that was yeah, in boom, boom Justice Boom Tube. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was in uh, Justice League. Yeah. So it's both movies are kind of built on the same kind of thing, and really Thanos is no different than oh, what the hell? Yeah. Oh, Dark Side. Dark Side and Thanos are the same thing. It's all Jack Kirby stuff. Um. But obviously, Marvel have done a better job at realizing it on film. Yeah, Ian, because you were dropped off a bit, I, I, I'm not too sure on where you are with watching these films. We talked about uh, the Black Panther before this, and obviously, this seemed a logical film to go on to the Avengers. I mean, do you want to? I mean, tell us about your, your the films that you did. You watch Black yeah. Panther, or is it just Avengers? I watched Black Panther. I watched it. I actually watched it yesterday again. It's right after I went to see it. Um, it was like a couple of days later. It was it was due to come out like a week later. On uh, that, that's how good that movie is. That when I got it on digital release, it was still in theater. Um, right. And it it is a very 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 good movie. It. Um, yeah. It is just really good, and um, yeah, I've watched it three or four times since then. And considering the space of time, it's you know, because like I said, I watched it about a week before it came out in digital release, and I think it's only been out for like a month. I've watched it like four times now. Um, but yeah, I've seen everything. Um, even watched Thor: Dark World more than once, and realized that was a stupid thing to do. <laughs> I blame Christopher Eccleston, frankly. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just you know that's that's been the only letdown of the entire series is the Thor Dark World. But yeah, it has been it, to look back on the past ten years and go, you guys really had a plan. You guys really kind of knew what you were doing. You set all these things in motion. Like Darth was saying, you know, all these MacGuffins in the movie have led to this point. You know. Um, a lot of uh, movie series don't put an awful lot of thought into what their end their end game's going to be. You know, they'll invent things partway through. Oh, we'll put that in here, and now we'll make this relevant, and put everything that's been in there since you know has been leading up to this point. And it's great to see that kind of planning and um, considering the amount of different directors that have had hands in this. That there is an overall an overall plan that they need to stick to and a place they need to go. Um, and oh, it's, sorry, it's, it's, nice. And uh, yeah, it's it's been really good. Black Panther, I really really enjoyed. There is some there's great superhero stuff, of course, uh, from his suit and and everything. But underneath that. Uh, there is a world that you totally kind of understand and get. You know, Wakanda, and this is a spoiler because you know, if you know Black, Pan- if you're going to see Black Panther, then you probably understand some of the stuff, and it's all told in the first couple of minutes of the um, 
the movie anyway. You know, Wakanda is built on this meteor, basically holding vibranium, um, smashes into the earth, and these tribes settle in this area and start mining this ore. And it's what their all of their technology and everything is based on. And they're far more advanced, in fact, than you know everybody else on in the globe. And so the opening shot of them arriving in Wakanda me is just gorgeous because it's this ancient civilization that is technologically advanced. And the buildings look like that. I probably right. couldn't have drawn it if you told me to draw something like that, but they did. They created this thing and you look at it and you're like, I totally buy it. It's not regular square skyscrapers. It's it's these native buildings that have that have turned into the you know, it's, it, it shows the kind of insular isolationism that existed in there, and it evolved there. And uh, and then the next part is the acting in it. Uh, first time that we see Black Panther um, with his, his general, basically, and they're going on this mission. Um, she's going to go join him, and he says, no, I've got this. I'm going to do this on my own. And it's my one of my favorite parts of the entire movie. She puts her spear back, but it's the manner in which she does it that just made me laugh because it's totally this. You see a relationship between these two people, all in that expression. She half rolls her eyes and says, "Okay, yeah, whatever. You're gonna freeze, you know, because he's going to rescue his ex girlfriend." Right. Um, and then the other relationship is, um. Kala with um, his sister. Uh, they're doing the whole James Bond thing. She's showing him all the cool gadgets. So there's that kind of James Bondy thing that you always like, you know, seeing all the cool stuff. But there's also this brother-sister relationship that that's, that's in there. Um, and then, yeah, it's just all really well done and it's good paced and really an enjoyable movie. I don't care who you are, you know. Um, and yeah, but all the Marvel movies to me, apart from Dark World, have been been great. You know, I've enjoyed everything. And uh, Infinity War is, I mean, I, I thought Avengers was an accomplishment to put all of those superheroes that they had on the boards at the time into one movie together and give everybody the right amount of screen time while keeping the story flowing, while keeping the action going, you know, it was all achieved, and I did it, and that was <clears throat> that was amazing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Are these long films? The, I'm trying to remember now. Uh, I, I mean, they're two, two and a half hours, you know, the usual. Oh, um, uh, Avengers Infinity. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Two really hours, remember. two and a half hours, 149 yeah. minutes. I mean, the the good thing about Infinity War is it's part one. So, um, oh, of course, yeah. Cool because you know we're going to get more story later on. Um, yeah, stop myself on a spoiler there. Never mind. Um, <laughs> but there are more. I mean, we've we've now got Black Panther. We've got you know we've got all these other subsidiary characters. We've got the Winter Soldier. We've got you know Captain America, and they're all piled into this movie. And you're like, wow, this is this is Avengers, but now it's a bit crowded. How is everybody going to get the appropriate kind of story, the appropriate kind of screen time? Because 
you know, there are people out there who like, you know, Doctor Strange and Iron Man, but they don't like Hulk um, or Thor. Everybody gets the right amount of time. At least that's the way it appears to me. Everybody, I didn't feel wanting for more Thor. I didn't feel wanting for more. If you want for more, never mind. Spoiler. <laughs> it, it's difficult. Um, it's difficult not to not not to, to wander into spoiler. Um, you know, territory. Right. How, really how long? I'm sorry. I how long do you have to wait for the conclusion of this? I mean, is it a year away or what? I mean, I think it's a, maybe darkness. Yeah, I believe it's a year. Right. But there's nothing coming out in between. I mean... Yes, there are. Uh, Ant-Man, I think, is... Ant-Man and oh. is next. Oh, yes, I was, I've got a clip of that. Just, Darth, do you want to say anything more on this film before I perhaps move us on to the Ant-Man and the Wasp? I, I, Darth, uh, mute Go on. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, no, other than other than the fact that one of the joys of it is just again how people you don't expect to be interacting are interacting, mm. like just some crazy pair-ups. Um, <laughs> that I mean, there are other things. You know, it's weird. There are some things that don't work in terms of the. I was surprised to find things that don't that where the special effects don't work. There are, and most notably, I suppose, it's Peter Dinklage's character. Just, it's supposed to be a giant, but of course, he's the opposite of a giant. And yet there are times where you can really see that they've screwed up the perspective. And so it, he doesn't look like a giant. That was I was really surprised that there was that kind of special effects error uh, being made. Um Although but I, I mean, found that's rather, real... I, I found the, that whole segment rather humorous because, for once, Peter Dinklage is bigger than anybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the conceit oh, of the it Game is of really kind of funny. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the <laughs> like, conceit of it is really kind of fabulous, but the uh, the execution of it doesn't always quite work. Right. And you're like, what is going on here? And so you get taken out of the scene, which means that the conceit wasn't worth having, kind of. Um, but, you know, and I'm not sure... Peter Dinklage was necessary to play that character. Like, there's nothing particularly in his wheelhouse that makes him any more suited to play that character than anybody else. It, it was for the sight gag that you weren't supposed to see, mm. and yet you saw the sight gag. So, uh, I don't know. That, that's a really minor thing. But, I mean, the result of that character is pretty awesome. Um, what that character does, what that character then provides to another character and then that character sort of using the gift of the Peter Dinklage character is pretty cool. Um, that's very vague, <laughs> but nevertheless. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well worth your time to go see. Well worth your time to go see with an audience because it's at points just uproariously funny. And so therefore an audience is helpful uh, I don't know that it's necessarily worth it to see it 3D. I don't know that it is in 3D cinemas anymore at this point because it's been around for a few weeks now, and I guess everything this weekend is solo. Um, so I don't. But I, I guess if you could find it in IMAX 2D still, that's probably worth your while to go and see it in large format. Uh, 
Um, I don't know. Uh, I, this is a film that you'll definitely want to get on home video, though, because so much is happening. I think it's impossible to take it all in with just one viewing. I think you immediately... I, I came out of the thing and I immediately wanted to see it again. Just to... Well, I don't think either of himself expected... I don't think either of us expected you to only watch it once, anyway. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, it, it, don't forget, it is Marvel. And I'm not that big a Marvel guy. I mean, I might have all these films for the Disney points, you know. But, but I, I don't necessarily sit around and contemplate the Marvel Universe that much. Um, but 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 this film did strike me as being unusually successful at putting together a wide range of ideas and people and concepts that have been brewing for a while and uh, coming away with something that made sense, which in itself, just the fact that the film makes sense is kind of absurd because it shouldn't make sense. It's too much, you know, but it does make sense and it is funny and almost all the lines make, uh, like a lot of times in these situations and this, you find this in, um, in Doctor Who a lot. It's one of the things that I complained about in Moffat Doctor Who. Beast Below, as we well know, one of the things that bugs me about Beast Below is Amy seems to have too much knowledge of who the Doctor is at the point in her timeline that she is in Beast Below. Like, she knows what it is to be a good companion. Why? Because Moffat knows. You know, and that happens a lot in these situations where you have lots of different characters and you've been building this mythos for a long time. The writer forgets that sometimes people don't know each other within the fiction. Right. And so, because they don't know each other, they shouldn't be having knowing interactions with each other. And I don't think that happens in Infinity War. Maybe I'm not remembering something or, or whatever, but it seems to me that when a character who doesn't know another character meets that character, they interact in a way that is plausible, even when that interaction is nonverbal. Like, there's a good scene between... Oh, who is it? Um, Scarlett Johansson's character and the head of Black Panther's guards. I forget her name. Uh, but they effectively just meet on the battlefield, and they, they have a moment where they are uh, you know, mutually fighting a, an enemy, and they have this kind of deal where they recognize that each other has skills, have skills. And even that level of, oh, yeah, I should definitely see that you can do things that I respect. Like, even that is allowed to happen, which is pretty incredible. Um, and I also think another thing that is interesting about the film is that there are moments where, uh, like, say you're spending some time with, and I, I, don't, I guess this isn't a spoiler because it is actually in the trailer that you just played, even though non-verbally, uh, like, when the Guardians of the Galaxy appear, it does feel like you're in a Guardians of the Galaxy movie briefly. When uh, you see Wakanda, uh, it does feel like you are watching Black Panther briefly. You know what I'm saying? Like, the the director of this film, who I 
honestly don't remember at this point, has picked up on some directorial cues from the directors of the other individual films and knit them together, if only very briefly, if only just enough to make you say viscerally, oh, okay, Wakanda. Or, oh, okay, Guardians of the Galaxy. Got it. Know where I am. You know, that sort of thing is... And even even Loki, you know, I, I, is it? Oh, well, whatever. The the intros thing with uh, the Asgardians, like you feel as if that the language is there, the the way that it is shot, at least at least in the opening moments of it, you're like, okay, this feels like I am in a Thor movie, you know, with all that heightened sort of Shakespearean stuff that Kenneth Branagh first gave to that franchise. Um, and then, you know, it settles into whatever, you know, the director of this current film wants it to have. But still, there's there's just these little moments. And it's, it's the kind of thing that happens in comic books like that. Like, in, whenever you have these team-ups, or a lot of times you have team-ups, you'll get that first panel where you're going to the world of whoever the the new character coming into this story is from, where you're like, oh, okay, great. I have an opening shot of Kansas. So I know, oh, it's Smallville. You know, I know I'm entering the world of Ma and Pa Kent. And then the story takes off from there. You know, you get, I at least got the feeling of, you have these little moments where, you know, even, even to the extent of, Spider-Man Homecoming, the whole fact that there is a school bus that is meant to evoke this, a similar scene from Spider-Man Homecoming. So you know, oh, here comes the school bus. Ah, on a bridge. Oh, it's Peter Parker, you know. Which I, th- I found fascinating and very helpful as a cue. Um, so kudos yeah, to absolutely. arranging all that visually. Right, I think we need to move on if we may. Um, Ian, um, I think we can skip the, the Jurassic World too because that's, I think people all know how that will play out. I mean, it's got dinosaurs. Um, so the other two ones are, we either just briefly mention Ant-Man and the Wasp, which doesn't actually come out until about July, or we can spend a little bit of time on Solo. But uh, which of those would you like to go? Uh, do you think we've got time to briefly cover both? Not lost Ian again, have we? Hmm. I don't Ian? know. Oh, he's still here. We don't hear you. Give him a moment to come and put something in text for those listening to the audio. Okay, it looks like he, the audio may have dropped out again. You'll have to uh, hang up while you're in the chat client, hang up, right-click on your phone icon. Right-click on your phone icon and drop off the phone and come back in. Um, Darth, uh, since it looks like you'll be talking, would you rather talk about Solo or have you not seen that yet? Oh, no, I've seen Solo. Of course I've seen Solo. Let, let, let's go to Solo. We'll go to Solo, Ian. I'll play the clip. You're after something. Is it revenge? Money? 
Or is it something else? You look good. A little rough around the edges, but good. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together crew. I'm a driver. And I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? You got a line on a ship? Yeah, I know a guy. He's the best smuggler around. I heard a story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me is true. Whoa. <laughs> L3! Let's go with a mean man's face. Hey, deep guns. If you come with us, you're in this life for good. You might want to buckle up, baby. advice. We assume everyone will betray you and you will never be disappointed. I got a really good feeling about this. When do you know how to fly? 190 years old? You look great. Push it. I loved it. I mean, I, I have heard that there are some people who don't, uh, and I guess it's sitting at like a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. Uh, I just thought it was great at expanding the Star Wars universe. It was great that it didn't have anything to do with blowing up a Death Star or something that looked like a Death Star or a reserved Death Star or Starkiller Base or what? You know, there's nothing like that. It has nothing exactly to do uh, it really doesn't have to do with well I don't know how to do this without spoiling but it it is basically a heist movie um, and so is pretty far away from uh, the political focus that the Skywalker saga generally focuses on right I mean if you think about the numbered episodes they all have something to do with effectively the Empire or the remnants of the Empire, you know. Um, and while there is an Imperial presence here, that's not what it's about. Um, and that makes it fascinating in a way to me because it, it's it's about people who have are fairly successful at living their lives outside of uh, direct contact with the Empire. Yeah, he was a mercenary, wasn't he, really? Solo, he's just yeah. making a boat where he yeah. could and, you know, going yeah. a bit close to the wind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, I guess you could take fault with, as some people have done already, and saying. This uh, this is a very popular thing right now on the internet. 
that this is a prequel that nobody was asking for. That nobody had any questions about the origin of Han Solo, so why are we doing this picture? And I guess I'm just not one of those people. I guess I always did want to know, well, what was he like, you know, before he met up? Because he's pretty old, really. I mean, Han, let's not forget Harrison Ford was older, is older than George Lucas by a year. So he uh, he's obviously in his mid-30s to, you know, really late-30s, I think, by the time that he's filming... I think he's in his 40s by the time he gets to Return of the Jedi, you know? Right. Uh, um, so there's a good deal of life, clearly, that you could talk about with him. And to me, this was, you know, the Chewbacca stuff is great in this, how they met. Um, really very interesting and surprising. Um, just I, the description of Corellia, which was... You know, he's always been said to be from Corellia. The Falcon is supposed to be a Corellian cruiser. Also, that's where, you know, all the big ships for the Empire are built. Um, and so getting to see something of Corellia was really interesting to me. I saw it in a film that had, you know, really good quality sound system on it. And i got to tell you, this film will make you feel like you are flying the Millennium Falcon because of the sound. And if you're, if you're in a really good theater, uh, the, the important thing, I think, uh, is don't choose something that's just 3D. I don't know that you need 3D. There's not a... I mean, there's some... There's a little bit of 3D magic here, but it is all post-process 3D. Um, and apparently the film's very dark, so the 3D makes it look even darker, I believe. Uh, there are some scenes that are dark. Yeah, it is sort of dark, I guess. Uh, but nevertheless, the important thing is get the theater's got the best sound system, I think, because you're going to want to hear all of the engines and the humming and the uh, the like. The soundscape on this thing is just top notch, as you come to expect from Lucasfilm. But I think in a bigger way than I have noticed uh, in any recent Star Wars film. This thing can be thunderous. There's a lot, there's just a lot more stuff that's being driven or flown or whatever because you know it's Han Solo, so he's a pilot. So there's more things being piloted, and being able to hear the engines is really one of the fun parts of this movie. Um, it, it's hard to talk about the substance of the film without giving some of it away. So I don't, I, I will shy right. away from that, except to say, you know. Um, of all it, it is a tremendous amount of fun and if you just open yourself up to that and you know you go into this thing like I think a lot of people who are really close to films and a lot of film reviewers have obviously gotten attached to the story of the making of this film and how it had a supposedly troubled beginning Variety did a big piece on that this week and you know, they explained what the original directors were going to do with it and how that all came to, you know, ahead and Ron Howard had to be brought in and all this stuff. I think if you just divorce yourself from those stories and just go in and say, you know, what is it, what, what might it have been like in different parts of the galaxy than the ones that I'm used to seeing? 
You know, this is a film that mentions Tatooine briefly, but doesn't ever go there. Uh, you know, in, in fact, I, there's no planet here that has ever been seen before. Um, and and so you don't have you don't have anything really to hold on to except for Solo and Chewbacca and Lando. I mean, that's and the, and the Falcon. That's what you got. Uh, and how all those pieces come together is interesting. Um, and I think you just let yourself go and say, hey, I'm going to really get in this. And you'll be fine. And I also think if you are somebody who has followed the Clone Wars and the and Rebels, you will definitely be rewarded. I mean, there is a big, fat reward coming your way. It is, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I will just say it, it, it is the very strongest, tie-in to the animated series that the films have done to date. And it's big, it's fat, it's obvious, and you'll be like, what? I can't believe that just happened. Like, literally, my mouth dropped when this thing happened. Uh, So it was surprising. Um, It's also got... uh, it's, It's one of the few films... It's interesting. Uh, This is a tip I can give you, too, I think, about it. You know, people will say this is sort of solo film. Uh, it's going to give you like a solo origin story. And so therefore, what you really need to worry about is how it ties into the original trilogy. But I think that its real strength is how it explains things about the sequel trilogy and about Han specifically in the sequel trilogy. Um, and if you really think about that, I think you will like this film more. Right. I wish I could, I wish I could kind of say more about that because that's well, very yeah. vague. But but it's it, it, it definitely ties you into the sequel trilogy, Han, which makes sense because Larry Kasdan wrote that and he wrote Solo and, of course, he wrote Empire. So he's got his fingers in all three things. And so he's trying to unify them all. And I really think he does it. But the thing I notice in, in some reviews is they're not at all taking into account the sequel trilogy. And so they are somewhat disappointed. And it's like, no, you've got to do something that explains the sequel trilogy Han and why sequel trilogy Han is different from original series Han. And this is the thing that actually helps you get there. Um, I, I'll just say, too, what's your name from uh, Game of Thrones? Oh, yes. Was playing the character Clark, Kira. Emily Clark. Loved her character. Loved her character. Loved her All portrayal. Right. Loved everything about that story. Um, just the. I guess it's true to say, if you're just looking for action out of this thing, that the front end of it is is going to be slow for you. But I think it's honestly, if you look at a New Hope, the front end of A New Hope is pretty damn slow. Right. I mean, it takes it takes a while for A New Hope to give you any real action. And that's sort of what's going on here. But the, but the beautiful thing about the beginning of A New Hope is you are learning things about the world and you're getting character stuff that's going on for really 45 minutes of that first... You know, the action doesn't really start until they get to the Death Star. 
But I mean, that, I mean, that's, that's so good about it because the point is, this guy thinks he was destined for greater things, that he's there as a dirt farmer and uh, he's dreaming of a, a cause and a princess. You know, ah, yeah. Eh? Whereas this thing, yeah. like moisture, yeah. Right. I mean, whereas the good thing about this is it, it takes you know some time at the very beginning to introduce you to his world, to who Emily uh, Clark is, and. Uh, you know who Woody Harrelson is, and all these people, uh, and and also in that in that opening thing. I mean, one of the things I loved about it is we never come to the empire obliquely, right? In in anything else, it's always head on. It's always we are in opposition to Darth Vader. We are in opposition to the Emperor. You know, they are the bad guys. We are the good guys. Boom, we're going to do this thing. And the thing about this is it's an exploration, a further definition of how the empire is very much like Nazi Germany in that there are corrupt officers involved uh, and that even though, you know, the rules of the empire can find you losing your life very quickly or your liberty taken away or whatever, there, if you have the ability to bribe them, you might get somewhere uh, which is an aspect of it that you always sort of suspected was there, but never is really explored in any of the previous films, whereas here it's just straight up. There, I mean, there's a very memorable scene, uh, to me at least, where corruption comes into play, and you, ju- you just see the Empire, I think, in a different light. It is... Because a lot of times the Empire, the people who, like stormtroopers and other people who join the Imperial cause, really do believe they're joining some sort of cause, right? And they are just very much like Nazi Germany where, you know, people became stormtroopers because they thought there was something, or they became part of the SS because they thought they were, you know, as warped as it was, they thought they were joining an actual cause. But, you know, when you dig deeper in history, you find actually... Most of those guys were corrupt. Mostly they were, you know, just trying to look out for themselves. And if they got into any kind of criminal trouble, it was because they were taking things away from the Reich, not because they were taking things away from individual people, you know. And I think that there's a scene that I just adore in this film that feels like it's taken from a World War II movie uh, where... And this whole film feels like it, where the Nazis are incidental. Like, the Nazis are a baked-in part of the narrative. And you have to believe... You have to know what that's all about in order to understand why the characters are behaving as they are behaving. Um, And that's kind of what this film is like. You know, Han isn't Han just because he's Han. Han isn't Han because he lives in a world that is shaped by a corrupt imperial presence. And to me, that's fascinating. I think maybe other people don't find that that interesting, but to me, I just, I love the first part of the film. Whereas it that does seem like to me... Blake like, Seven to me. He sounds like he just described Blake Seven. <laughs> that's why Blake uh, you know, and not, do what they do. <laughs> I, I'm not a fan of Blake Seven, but I have seen enough of it to understand what you mean. And yeah. there's not, a, they're not dissimilar. You know, it is a it it feels you know sort of like that um, at the beginning at least. 
Well, even even no, that that may be if you like Blake Seven, I can't imagine you really won't like Solo. I mean, there's enough there that you should like. But I yeah. think interestingly, when you read reviews of this thing, they pretty consistently say the first part was really slow. It's unevenly paced, but then at the end, it it's great. It becomes really fun at the end. That's a common thing I've read. But I don't know if I agree with that. I I, I think it's just a film that has three very clear acts, and each one of them is different. They are connected, but each one of them is sort of different, and they are each satisfying for different reasons. But I've talked about okay. now that we have Ian back. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, just go to screen in a minute. Just to say, I put a link into AV forums, which I read a lot, and they do film mm-hmm. reviews. And uh, I mean, their their one strap line is "Solo is no masterpiece, but it's entertaining, action-packed, and often very funny." Um, um, uh, the biggest criticism that can be leveled at the film is essentially it's average. Uh, the score is decent but not memorable. The plot is fun, but predictable. The performances are all perfectly acceptable, and the direction is uninspired, but professional. In other words, the final product is very much a Ron Howard film. It was business-like, tells a story. Uh, but they actually, they, they come from the, the aspect you said. They don't know why we needed an aspect, uh, a hand yeah. film. But when you're sitting in it, and you actually watch it, it You've had two hours of enjoyable entertainment, and it's, as you said, not moved the story on that much, but it has been, you know, a film that that is en- enjoyable and uh, and sort of easy to like and adopt. Uh, but Ian, yes, you're right. We've got oh, Ian I, back. Uh, oh, go on. Yeah, hold on one second. I, I don't know if I agree with that last little bit, that it's just easy and it doesn't move the plot along. It, it serves a very useful function because it shows... It sets things up nicely it, for further hand solo adventures, it says. Well, yeah, I don't know if it's going to get that, but I mean, the interesting thing it does for the universe, for the Star Wars galaxy, is that it shows maybe for the first time the the good guys and the bad guys in a very gray way. Like, it shows the... Um, you know, the base-level imperial functionary as being corruptible and corrupt. And then it also shows this nascent uh, rebel group as being not entirely on the up-and-up at all. Um, Right. Which, you know, I guess Rebels has done a little bit of that to show there's some ambiguity in the Rebels universe or the Rebels show but this does it in a very in a much starker way. I guess Rogue One. But you know, nevertheless, I think one of the useful things about this film is it shows gray on both ends of the spectrum, uh, which makes sense because your hero is essentially a kind of anti-hero. You know. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, uh, one last thing uh, I would say as well from this is said that a lot of the people on this review site went to the midnight screenings. And they said the IMAX one was full, but all the other screens were virtually empty. Um, cause, mm. And anyway, Ian, you're back. So come on, uh, we're, we're nearly at the two-hour mark. So do you want to yeah. talk about? Well, I was I was going to wait for, well, I don't, you know, I've said before, I don't go to the theater a lot. I've been actually more this year, I think, than, than previous years. 
And I was of the mindset of I'll wait until um, Solar comes out on Blu-ray or digital release. Now I'm not so sure I, I can wait that long. Because I was like, oh, quite happily go and see it, but I'm not like, you know, now I've heard that there's there's so many spoilers floating around out there, or you know possible spoilers. I'm like, how much should probably really go see this? And plus, everybody's so positive about it. Like Darth was saying, it was the it was the prequel that nobody really wanted, but as it's here, everybody's just loving it. Um, and so yeah, I may have to uh, find a way of seeing it before the digital release. Perhaps, perhaps the other films, people had so high expectations. This one, they went in with not high expectations, and therefore yeah. it came and, up to, you know. Yeah, and because, I mean, my, my, my outlook on it was, I wasn't expecting, you know, um, him blowing up, you know, large, you know, ships and, and, you know, doing stuff that he did in Star Wars, because I'm like, oh, it's a backstory, and we know he's a smuggler, so it's going to be a lot more of a contained storyline rather than this vast kind of traveling from galaxy to galaxy and doing big things. And so I was like, I, I can wait, you know. Uh, but now I'm like, oh. <laughs> now, now, especially with listening to Dark, I'm like, uh. if I, I, I got to convince my wife to go, you know. It's like, it's like Deadpool 2, I was like, eh. but now I'm like, ah, I better go. <laughs> I mean, maybe compromising. Like if your movie theater has like a Tuesday reduced price mm. admission thing. Maybe do that. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, the key thing is don't waste your money on just a regular theater. Go go to a theater that specifically says it's like RPX sound or whatever is the trademark for your best sound system in your local area. Because it, right. it's the sound that's going to get you. Yeah. And it's not just spaceships. Right. I mean, Another thing that I really like, you know, from sort of a behind-the-scenes kind of thing is we know, you know, the history here is George Lucas hires Ron Howard to be in American Graffiti, which is all about cars, and we know that George Lucas loves cars, and therefore you've got the pod race in Episode 1 and all this. Well, the great thing about this is it kind of comes full circle, which is hinted at in that trailer that we heard. Hmm. The, there is some great car action that's going on with Han Solo piloting or driving a car and it's awesome. And it makes you think, okay, it does make sense that Ron Howard would have had this little sequence about car, you know, racing in a Star Wars film. Yeah. Yeah, It's totally a hot racing. It's great. You know? And I think, I think what uh, Dave just said was, is really interesting. People absolutely went into this thing. Industry people, Reviewers, whatever, mm. went into this thing absolutely expecting it to be awful, and so they were they were in the mindset of it being awful anyway. Before they even went to see this film, they already had that first line: "This is a sequel. This is a prequel that nobody wanted." They already had right. it. It was baked into what their review was going to be. Aside from just saying, "Okay, this is going to be cool because it must contain a Wookiee." And Han Solo and Lando Calrissian and that chick and from Falcon. Game of Thrones. You put those three things, four things together, and you're like, oh, and the Falcon, so that's fine. You put those things together, and you're like, 
that could be good. That could be entertaining. That might be a great way to kick off the summer. And if that's how you go into it, you'll be like, this is really very, very cool. But, and you, Ian, I swear to God, you are the perfect audience for this because you have the background in the Clone Wars and the um, and Rebels. I gotta finish the last season of Rebels. So. Should I, you're should fine. I if, if, all you, if all you're trying to finish is the last season of Rebels, you're fine. Okay, good. Because um, I was like, do I need to see this first? I mean, but go on and see it because it's great. It, but it's like better, you know. Oh, <laughs> but the last season of Rebels is pretty freaking awesome. So go and see it. Okay. But, um, especially the the way that it ends, I swear you will cry at the end of Rebels. But no, that's cool. Um, the uh, because you are steeped in the animated thing, you you'd be like probably punched in the air because it it means that Dave Filoni's work has not been you know <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's this is more than just the walk on of uh, you know. Uh, chopper in Rogue One or uh, General Syndulla come to your craft or whatever. It's, right. it's not just that little bit of a cameo. It's a real honest to God this is a big damn deal thing that if you I, I, I honestly think if you haven't got that and a lot of people don't what are they, they're going to be like what the hell is going on? Yeah. Uh, but you know, you're not that way, I'm not that way, so let's take advantage of the fact that we've spent money and spent time watching uh, animated Star Wars to get it reward for it. So cool. I really really reward it now. I was like, oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't, spoil, you don't want like, it spoiled because if, no, if it's spoiled, cool. I think you'll be like, gosh, darn it, that is not cool. Because I, I literally have been like, could not believe it. <laughs> It's like it's time to wrap up then, Ian. <laughs> yeah, there's just too many movies at the moment. And I was like, wow. It's just like, yeah. I, I mean, I hate saying it's just because, I mean, it's because they're movies, but it's a good time to be alive. You know? Yeah, there's yeah, yeah. good stuff going on. And it's like, you know. It's like every week. It's every week for this summer. Yeah, it's I mean, crazy. Deadpool, I don't know if you saw Deadpool and Deadpool 2, but Deadpool 2 actually, I've heard a lot of people say it's better than the first one. And it's like, Wow. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of times you don't hear that about sequels. Like, oh, this is much better than the, the first one. But, yeah, you're that it is. And I actually bought uh, X-Men Apocalypse from uh, Walmart the other day. I was going to add this into news, but I lost my way. Um, it was on sale for like $10, $7 at Walmart. But they released a whole bunch of movies with new cardboard covers, the cardboard sleeves. And the X Men Apocalypse yeah. one is one of them, and it's and it's uh, the Apocalypse costume, but Deadpool's in it. And there's <laughs> uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and it's and it's uh, uh, Deadpool in that. Uh, there's one of the X Men movies, and they're all Deadpool's. So they've recreated all these covers with Deadpool, and the, even Logan. Logan got a release, and instead of the little girl's hand holding, you know, Wolverine's hand, it's Deadpool. Just, just the hand. That's hilarious. Like, and, it's just like, and they're cheap too. And it's just like you can go pick one up for like you know seven to ten dollars. And it's like, and then you get a coupon for the movie. You get like five, bucks, four or five bucks off the ticket. Oh like, really? Great! What a great marketing scheme. You get oh, that's awesome. See the movie. Plus they get this little collector's thing. I've actually sent one home to a guy in New Zealand. He wanted. Uh, he saw 
the the thing online and he's like oh i'd i'd love to have that office because they did office space as well oh. <laughs> and 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 <laughs> And so they've, they've, you know, I sent that home with a friend from New Zealand with my other friends. So it's, it's great. And plus, that means I've got it was a you know proper the proper blue Blu-ray release with the digital copy for like seven dollars. But then you take the the movie discount ticket that I'm going to go see Dead Blue, you know. So and all for something that's basically going to be a collector's item at some point. Not that that's why I got it, but it was just a kid. Like I kind of wanted that for my collection, and plus I get this this funny cover. Nice. Yeah, the the marketing on that movie has been spectacular. Even down to getting Celine Dion to do the theme song for Deadpool. <laughs> and the and the video that they released online, she's singing it, and everything. And at the end, he's like. No, 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 no. He says, you gave me like a 10. He's like, this is Deadpool 2. This is a sequel. Can you not, can you turn it down or not, Celine? <laughs> <laughs> and she basically tells him to get lost. And she, oh, I can't remember what the insult, but it's like, it was one of the other marketing deals. It's like, they released this song and it's Celine Dion. And she's, it's a powerful song. It's not just her pumping it in. It's a, yeah. yeah. And so it's, the marketing on it has been fantastic, you know. So, yeah, like I said, it's, it's a great time to be around at the moment. We've got all these fantastic movies of, of stuff that we, you know, didn't even imagine that the kids would, you know, be so magnificent. Awesome. You know? Yeah. It, yeah like, and, and now we're watching all this stuff. It's like, awesome. And I mean, talking back to Black Panther, mm. um, not just a superhero, but there's a, a, an interesting kind of um, moral dilemma, you know, because Wakanda's cut off from the rest of the world. They're hiding out. And yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's trouble going on in the world, and they're not getting involved. And so there's that whole thing in there where it's like no longer do we have to be satisfied with um, – Guys who want to take over the world. Yeah. You know, so like, what's this guy's motivation? Oh, nothing. He's just evil. There's, there's. Right. It's the same with the Avengers: Infinity War. This, oh it's yeah. It's not a just. Uh, I'm Thanos and I want to rule the galaxy. That's not it at all. He's actually fully fleshed out guy with reasoning, and it's not actually that. Twisted. It's 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 odd. It puts you in a very interesting sort of moral dilemma when you sit down and think about it. It's like, well, he's gonna sleep. And especially how, you know how slowly drawn that is. Like honestly, when you start out with that character at the beginning of the film, you do think it's pretty, you know, yeah, black it's, and white it's or whatever. It is a trick. It's it's like it's, it's like, like a frog that's in the you know bowl of water that you're heating up gently until all of a sudden the frog's dead because it's boiling water. Yeah. I mean, except it, except it's the exact opposite because it's fury starting out with, and then he gets more and more calm until, like, honestly, the film ends on the most passive shot you could imagine. Yeah. It's, you know? It's, it's great. It's... <laughs> 
it's a really well, and how they've captured Josh Brolin's performance is, mm. you know, yeah. Since we're talking about Star Wars, it is pretty much the complete opposite of Jar Jar. You know, I mean, yeah. it is, <laughs> it is a, a, I mean, it's in some ways, it, I mean, it's more comparable to L three, the robot that is in Solo. Um, you know, that's got to be mostly CG, at least yeah. in some parts, and. um you know, just just Thanos is that's what makes that film compelling is that it even though you've got all this craziness going on, you have this one through line of emotional resonance with the villain. <laughs> it's crazy. So that at the end, you're like, Well, I don't know who I'm supposed to be feeling for now. Yeah. Besides which <laughs> I'm not even sure who's around to give my sympathy to. Yeah. You know? So it- yeah, I mean, talk about cliffhanger. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a remarkable cliffhanger. You know, and as this podcast studies Doctor Who a lot, you know, we've seen our fair share of cliffhangers. And this is the weirdest damn cliffhanger because it is just – it's apocalyptic and yet at the same time incredibly calm. Yeah. And you're like, it's, what it's, it's weird, the hell? I, I think at some point we're probably going to have to do a, a spoiler – review where we can actually just talk about it because it's not, yeah, not being kind of, able to say yeah, what we want to Yeah, say. you can't really <laughs> get in there and talk about it. Yeah. No, you can't get in there. Not only that, I don't even know that I feel entirely competent to talk about everything because oh, yeah. this, this is a 10-year venture. There are details that I've forgotten. Like, I have to say, I have only just now yesterday bought Dark World just because mm-hmm. even though yeah, I know it's not the Kenneth Branagh masterpiece that was Thor. Uh, I I do remember one thing about it. I remember Natalie Portman is better in two than one, I think. Or something about her character I like. I, I can't remember what it was, but there's something about her that makes a lot of sense to me in two. Maybe it's just that she did just go to Asgard. I don't know. I can't remember. I just watched uh, um, uh, Winter Soldier. Oh, that's good. Uh, and there was a, a scene on the roof where they're talking to one of the agents, and he rattles off all these people that they've been watching. And I didn't catch it the first time, but there's all these names, and then it's just like, and then I hear Stephen Strange. And this is before, mm. way before, this, way before he's even introduced, but his name, yeah. he is name checked, and it's just like, oh wow. Because it's this computer program that's analyzing the possibilities of all of these people, and it's just like, dang it! Yeah, <laughs> like these guys were just putting all sorts of things in place, and it's just great. And uh, the one thing that, that uh, probably got missed when I thought I was being—I thought you guys were being really, really rude earlier, by the way—because I was saying <laughs> all kinds of—I was interjecting little pieces, but you guys uh, <laughs> going right over my going mind. right over you. And then I was like, hang on a second. The really cool thing is, and I didn't realize it quite so early, but Infinity War has a digital release. Well, according to a, a tweet that's now been deleted, I think it is, but it's set down for July 31st. Which I thought, that's really, really quick. I'm hmm. hoping it's true because it's also my birthday. Oh. I'm like, Whoa. guess what I'm getting for my birthday? 
I don't know if that's that, going to happen, but that's that's the real, that's that you know was the thing that came out that said uh, that uh, uh, War isn't done breaking box office records, uh, but plans for the digital Blu-ray releases are already in motion. Recently, an official Avengers Twitter account posted, then promptly deleted a series of tweets that revealed that uh, it would be digitally released on followed by Ray. 4K Blu-ray uh, DVD on August 14th. Oh, well, you broke up a bit hmm. there, but I think we got it. Yeah. Yeah, so, that, I mean, that makes... pretty quick, hmm. but then again, if you're coming out with the next movie next year, then, you know, how long did you wait? I mean, that's about the right sort of time frame. Okay, I wasn't, you know, I've never really kind of been that interested like, I mean, a lot of stuff in theaters. I'm always like, that makes sense. Uh, given given the time for Black Panther's digital releases, that makes sense. Right. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really happy. Plus, I've got a $3 credit from pre ordering Black Panther, um, even though I ah. pre ordered it the day before. And plus, if I pre order Avengers of Infinity War, which I've got $3 I can put towards, I get a $3 credit on Voodoo. Huh. Deal. Uh, uh, see, I don't do anything on Voodoo, so I don't know. Yeah, you see, I yeah. throw all my stuff is, is, is pretty much Voodoo. Like mm-hmm. everything's coming together. Yeah, together. Oh, well, the other thing that's really coming out that's, that's going to be cool soon, too, is um, one, Incredibles 2. And oh, yeah, yeah. Two, um, uh, Wreck-It Ralph 2. Ah. Ralph wrecks the internet. Oh, see, I don't know anything about that. But, yeah, Incredibles 2. I love Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck-It Ralph is an awesome movie. It's just a great movie. You know, huh. I have to make excuses. You know, say, hey, Calum, here. What? Go watch the movie. <laughs> this is a nice. kids movie, but it is really cool because it's, it's, you know, it's all about video game characters. You know, that's right up my, right in my wheelhouse. Nice. Okay, well, this is a pause, guys. Uh, I just, uh, I, I didn't at the head of the show. I wanted to just give a shout out to Russell, who does Ramble with Russell. Twelve, in fact, May the seventh has just gone. Two thousand and six is when he started his podcast. Uh, I put the link in the room there, ramblingrusslipsid dot com. Uh, Twelve years he's been going, so uh, congratulations to uh, yeah, Russell. And um, yeah, you no, were. No. <laughs> We're breaking up a little bit there, Ian. Uh, I'm hoping we we can wrap up before we lose you again. I've got the power line Ethernet, which at the moment is not working for some reason. I don't know why. So actually, I've opened a hotspot on my phone and plugged my phone into my computer. So I'm actually running it through the Wi-Fi off my phone. Wow. That's how I'm wow. over here, is on my computer, through my phone, through the Wi-Fi. <laughs> that, oh, yeah, that's like, super, it, that superhero stuff, that, Ian. I know. I've done it at work before when the network goes down, because this Bluetooth, I've got Bluetooth on my computer at work, I don't have it here, and I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I can, so I turn on the hotspot, and it told me I can do it over Wi-Fi, or I can just plug it directly into my computer, which is good, because I need to charge my phone anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> It's an interesting way of getting around it, but it works. And uh, yeah, because I was having, I don't know why it 
just suddenly everybody else is on the internet. It's just me. Um, All right. I don't know. Don't know what happened. But uh, of course, it's always in the middle of me in a long rambling. Have a bit. <laughs> yeah, and this is like great. <laughs> I couldn't even <laughs> tell you where I was on that either. It's like, <laughs> granted, I'm watching Doctor Who again, and I'm enjoying it. Well, look, guys, I think we ought to yeah. draw an end. Darth, thanks ever so much. You've been a real tower of strength with uh, today's show, and thanks for coming back on. Uh, next time we're back, by the way, to those people listening, is June 24th, uh, our next episode. We haven't, we don't know what we're talking about, but uh, June 24th, the last Sunday in June. Dave, you never know what you're talking about. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. That's true. <laughs> true. Uh, Dirk Farmer, indeed. <laughs> Boy, I was using sure. it as a, a dirt farmer in terms of that's a, a generic term for people who work the land. Sure you are. They work sure you are. the land now. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right, let's quit while I'm not ahead. <laughs> or behind. Yeah, you only get two mistakes. Yeah. You only get two mistakes, isn't it? Yeah, that's well, I've used one, them up. I've used them up. Oh, okay. Then it must be time to be done. <laughs> All right. I want to thank everybody for um, for tuning in. Uh, for those of you who showed up earlier and then left us, uh, some guests have wandered in and out. Uh, of course, uh, Mike was here earlier, and Cybob, of course. So he, there, it's kind of a semi-official show. And of course, as, as Dave said, thanks to Darth for um, talking when I couldn't <laughs> and uh, lending us his expertise. And uh, yeah, so we'll catch you all next month. So, ready, Dave? Indeed. All right. So, until then, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC. And it's goodbye from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Goodbye, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.